0: It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Bob Hope episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest star, Yael Kalman. Yay! Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm David Levy. We're so glad you're here with us. Today with me are... Michal Richardson. Christy Bauer.
1: Adam Grossworth.
0: And our aforementioned very special guest star, Yael Kalman. Yael is an employee benefits lawyer, a mom to four kids, and a certified professional coach who lives outside of Philadelphia. She also happens to be Michal's sister, and she shared Michal's love of the Muppets from a young age. So, Yael, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets.
2: I am so happy to be here. So, as you know, I grew up with Michal, and we were both very into the Muppets from when we were very young. And two major, minor life events come to mind that I associate with the Muppets. One, and Michal has mentioned this on the show before, when I was very young, probably two or three our house was robbed and the burglars stole our VCR with a VHS tape of recorded episodes of The Muppet Show still in the VCR. And that, I would say, was the main impact the burglary had on us as kids and not that our sense of security or safety was threatened or anything, but the loss of that tape. And I would say, Michal, tell me if you agree that that was maybe our first palpable experience of loss. <laughs> um, and the second event <laughs> this is a whole therapy session. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> exactly, put me on the couch. Um, the second event that comes to mind is uh, the summer before I started high school. Michal and I went to see Muppets from Space in theaters. I was hoping you would mention this. And we were very excitedly dancing and running around the theater at the end, like during the credits. We were the only ones in the theater. We were the only ones in the theater. Justice right?
1: from Muppets from Space.
2: <laughs> and I twisted my ankle and sprained it and started off high school on crutches. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> okay,
1: I take it back. Screw Muppets <laughs> from Space.
0: But it was worth it. Well, I hope. Being here with us can help heal some of your Muppet related trauma. Yes, yes.
2: I <laughs> I think it has. And especially now in preparation for this episode, I watched the Bob Hope episode a couple of times. The first time with my older kids who are eight and a half and six and a half, and then the second time with my three and a half year olds. And it was really interesting to notice their different responses to the episode. And then when I watched it with my older kids, we immediately afterwards watched the JP Morgan episode, which was an episode that I didn't grow up with, but I had just listened to your recording about it and it sounded so great and we loved it so much. And then later in the week, we also watched the Muppets take Manhattan together, which we had never watched before. And it's just been such a sweet experience introducing my kids to the Muppets and to see it through their eyes. And I had delayed introducing them to the Muppets before because you know how stressful it is to show your partner or your good friend a movie or a show that's really important to you. Yeah, I was just nervous about how they would respond and like maybe they wouldn't like it at all. But it seems so far like they're really into it and especially the physical humor. And I would say that the physical humor of this Bob Hope episode really made a positive impression on them at least. So anyway, I'm really happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show and thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. Thanks for being here. (laughs) I have a feeling
3: that we have perhaps misunderstood the question.
1: We have a correction from the Petula Clark episode, past and hopefully future guest and tough pig, Ryan Rowe. Let us know that um, Tweedledee was most likely the first song performed by the Muppets on the local TV show afternoon with Inga which predated Sam and Friends. Also, Craig Shemin is the president of the Jim Henson Legacy, and Karen Falk is the archivist. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. We are here this week to talk about Season 2, Episode 22 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of November twenty-second, 1977, maybe? For these last few episodes of this season of the show, Muppet Wiki has some duplicate production dates, or they're like off by a day but in the same week. It's totally possible that they were making two episodes uh, at the same time in the same week, but we don't know, and it's really hard to fact check this stuff. Muppet Wiki, we love you, and we trust you, and <laughs> you're our main source for this, so that's what we got. If anyone out there knows anything about this, please let us know, and we will let Muppet Wiki know. Um, We do know, for a fact, that it aired in New York on February 13th, 1978. It was the 17th episode in the Air Order in between Elton John and Julie Andrews. The reason we know that so solidly, I've I've said this before, but uh, in case you're new, um, I use the New York Times as my primary source for this research. If you're a paid subscriber, you can see images of the old newspapers. Um, It's like... Microfiche, but on your computer. So um I'm looking at the actual paper, primary source, it's fun. And so I look at both the listings and the ads um in the TV section, and it's been a boring few weeks of ads, but this week <laughs> it was not. So strap in. We talk a lot about the death of local journalism, but tonight on the six o'clock news on channel seven, which is our local ABC affiliate, I'm just gonna read the copy from the ad. If anyone's looking to buy a honeymoon cottage 22 years from now, we know a nice little neighborhood to settle down in. Tonight, Doug Johnson begins the second full week of Here Comes 2000 by exploring the ways of inhabiting the moon. For the rest of the week, see predictions of marriage, the new things you'll eat, like crickets and beetles if you have any appetite, New York of the Future, and do-it-yourself entertainment. The 21st century, here you come.
4: In the year 2000.
5: (laughs) Yep, I was waiting for that.
1: And on channel two, which is uh, our CBS affiliate and where the Muppet Show aired, this one's full of yikes. Anyone goes sex. That's the uninhibited lifestyle of the bisexual. They meet and mingle in jammed gay discos where thousands of eager experimenters are joining the growing cult. Can't confirm. Members of this multi-mixed... What?
5: I'm kidding. Why has nobody taken me to a jammed
1: gay disco? Seriously, a cult? (laughs) A jammed gay disco cult? (laughs) The members of this multi-mixed world live seemingly normal lives, but often feel at odds with the male-female society around them. We'll see how they cope with everyday life, special problems at work, and neighbors at home. Tonight, Chris Borgen brings you the first of two parts in this provocative special report. In case you weren't paying attention up top, that means part two aired on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Like, there's gay panic, and then there's whatever the fuck that is.
5: They're so panicked, they're not sure what they're panicked about.
1: No, I just, uh, so much. (laughs) The 10 o'clock news on Channel 5, which uh, is now Fox, but at the time was not affiliated with any network, had part one of a five-part series, The UFO Inquiry. It's exactly what you think it is. I don't need to read the copy. Um, After The Muppet Show on NBC, uh, Texaco presents Bob Hope's classic comedy special from Palm Springs, extremely relevant this evening. Even this ad looks 20 years old. It starred Raquel Welch with special guest star Tully Savalas and with guest stars Glenn Campbell, Roy Clark, Phyllis Diller, Andy Williams, and Flip Wilson. So that's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, And that was followed by the miniseries King, starring Paul Winfield as Martin Luther King, which I remember, so it it must have re-aired in the 80s. At nine on ABC, we've got two hilarious Valentine specials. Exclamation point. The Honeymooners Valentine special, so that would that's a reunion special of the Honeymooners. Is Alice Cramden having a love affair, dot, 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 and plotting her husband's murder?
5: Ralph Cramden is supposed to still be alive at this point?
1: Yeah, right? Well, I mean, Jackie Gleason was still alive, so it makes sense. But they did have a replacement Trixie, I noticed, which made me look up Joyce Randolph. And Joyce Randolph is still alive now, so I didn't care enough to dig into what happened there, but um, I found that a little weird. The Honeymooners was on, actually was on this night on TV, on Channel 11 at like 11 or 11.30, and, and was for like my entire childhood. So even though, you know, this show is from the like early 50s, it was definitely something I watched as a child and did not really understand. The Love Boat is on on a special night. It's not normally on our listings on Monday. It's obviously a Valentine special, and it featured Patty Duke, credited as Patty Duke Aston. And today I learned that she is Sean and Mackenzie Aston's mother. Did not realize that.
0: Yeah, married to John Astin of Adam's family fame. The two of them appeared on like Tattletales a lot.
1: Jamie Farr, Rick Nelson, not Ricky, Rick Nelson, uh, trying to grow up. Frankie Avalon and Shelly Long, which I thought was interesting that she is on the ad because she was not famous yet. <laughs> um, she is to us now, but it was like one of her first credits, but her name was on the ad, so good for her.
3: To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce. To
0: you. Bob Hope was a comedian, actor, and MC who was a beloved staple of American entertainment for the lion's share of the 20th century. Born Leslie Hope in 1903 in London, Hope immigrated to the United States with his family a few months shy of his fifth birthday, spending the rest of his childhood in Cleveland. In his teenage years, he developed his talents as a busker and performing in amateur talent contests. He even had a brief career as a boxer under the name Packy East. In his early 20s, he formed a dance act with a friend, and they were discovered by Fatty Arbuckle, who hooked them up with a touring show. He soon formed a different act called The Dance Medians, which included the Hilton sisters, the conjoined twins who theater fans know as the subject of the musical sideshow.
1: Did not expect that connection.
0: Right? No pun intended. <laughs> After five years of touring in Vaudeville, Hope made his way to Broadway, first in small parts working his way up to a starring role in 1933's Roberto, which listeners may remember as the show that gave us Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. In 1936, he would make his two final Broadway appearances in The Ziegfeld Follies of 1936 and opposite Ethel Merman and Jimmy Durante in Cole Porter's Red Hot and Blue, which we've talked about on the show before. Meanwhile, he had begun to make inroads in radio, and in 1937, he became a regular on The Woodbury Soap Hour for one year, after which he got a 10-year contract for The Pepsodence Show starring Bob Hope. After a slow start in movies, Hope made a splash in 1938's The Big Broadcast of 1938, in which he introduced the song Thanks for the Memory, which would become his signature tune. You'll notice it's the fanfare the orchestra plays each time he makes an entrance in this episode of The Muppet Show. The 1940s saw Hope become a major film comedian, most notably thanks to the road pictures he made with Bing Crosby and Dorothy L'Amour. They made five of them throughout the 40s and then reteamed for one more in the 50s and one final go-round in 1962. He was also well-known as one of the most frequent hosts of the Academy Awards, emceeing the Oscars 19 times between 1939 and 1977. He was also closely associated with the USO, the nonprofit organization that brings entertainment to American troops. Hope performed his first USO gig in 1941 and continued performing for them all the way into the 1990s. He's also remembered for decades of star-studded television specials for NBC, which ran from 1950 to 1996, many of which included footage from his USO performances overseas for military audiences. In fact, during the Muppet Show taping, Hope also recorded a skit with the Muppets for the Bob Hope All-Star Christmas Comedy Special, which aired later that year. Although his career stretched all the way through the 90s, as American culture started to shift in the 60s, Hope became resentful and ardently refused to change with the times. When he hosted the 1968 Oscars, those were the awards that were delayed due to the murder of Martin Luther King Jr., He made obnoxious remarks about the delay and condescended to the new generation of filmmakers being celebrated that year. His vocal support of the Vietnam War further alienated fans. Hope's personal life was not great. I would once again refer you to the What a Creep podcast to learn about the details, except that their episode seems to be offline at the moment. But the highlights include possible bigamy and enough womanizing to have a whole section of his Wikipedia page titled Extramarital Affairs. Regardless, he received numerous awards and honors over his career, including five honorary Oscars, the Kennedy Center Honors, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the National Medal of the Arts, and Knighthood. In 1998, the AP mistakenly printed his obituary, which led to his death being announced on the floor of the House of Representatives, even though he still had five years left in him. He would live to be 100 years old, passing in July 2003. He's also one of the many... Muppet Show guest stars who makes a cameo in the Muppet movie. So for me, Bob Hope was one of those sort of omnipresent celebrities of my childhood. We watched Bob Hope specials when they were on TV. Uh, I certainly knew him from the Muppet movie, but also, like, I remember watching the big broadcast of 1938 when I was a little kid because uh, my dad was into old movies, and so I sort of was also into old movies through that. And I definitely saw some of the road pictures, et cetera. But I'm curious, what are your all memories or feelings about Bob Hope?
4: Bob Hope seems to me like one of those celebrities who we can only sort of generationally grasp the importance of. And I say that because this week I happened to catch again an episode of the Carol Burnett show where Bing Crosby was one of the guest stars. And in one of the sketches in which Bing Crosby was playing himself, Bob Hope did a cameo in the middle of it and showed up, and the audience lost their minds in the sort of way that, like, I, I was trying to think of of somebody equivalent showing up in a thing. And
0: I feel like that's if if Ben Affleck was hosting Saturday Night Live and Matt Damon dropped by for yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
4: exactly, exactly. So because yeah, it's similarly. I I th- I think of him as being the the same way that I I did with George Burns as a kid, like that old guy from old hollywood who's still around <laughs> it's like the first thing that i think of when i hear bob hope's name even though i you know i've i've since as an adult come back and you know put him in context it's still like old hollywood it's like shorthand
1: i mean like so many of the guest stars we've talked about he was just there in a way that i didn't have context for but like as a kid like you just you just knew who bob hope was whether you understood it or not cuz that's how pop culture worked in the 70s and 80s yeah what were your overall thoughts of this episode
2: this is one of the episodes that survived the um burglary and we watched it a lot growing up and watching it again now i thought it was okay uh there were some bright parts but overall it was pretty meh um The whole running gag about Bob Hope as an absentee guest, I think has a major impact on the quality and tenor of the episode as a whole. Yeah. I thought it was okay, but
4: nothing to write home about. Christy. I agree. It, it goes down smooth, but like a little too smooth. Like I'm not sure that I will remember this one without prompting a season from now smooth. It's, it's perfectly charming, but compared with some of what we have seen, especially lately, Yeah, it's not a lot to write home about.
1: How?
5: Yeah, it's hard not to see this through the lens of having watched it a bunch as a kid, but if I were to try and wipe that lens, I'd say that much like the Petula Clark episode that we watched last week, there was so much fun in here, and there's a, a bunch of it that I love as individual segments, but there was something about the pacing and the absentee guest aspect, like Elle mentioned, that made it a little forgettable it kind of slipped right out of my brain
0: david i'm going to speak in defense of the absentee guest because before we watched this i was sort of dreading it because i thought "Ugh, bob hope like that's a style of comedy that i'm just not here for anymore like it's it hasn't aged well and i don't really want to have to sit through so much of like you know cranky old man bob hope and then we get this episode and he's barely in it and, like, that was just <laughs> a gift. <Literally>. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I think, like the Petula Clark episode, the reason why it's hard to sort of have a handle on this is because all the best parts don't involve the guest star or don't involve the guest star interacting with the core Muppet cast. And so, like, Calypso Pig has been a favorite of mine for a long time, but it, it's the kind of thing that could be plopped into any episode. So it's hard to sort of connect it in my brain with everything else from this episode.
1: It's so weird that I'm the positive outlier. Although I guess I did like Peter Ustinov. I agree with Christy. Like this is not, you know, this is not like a top, a top 20 episode. Like it's not, it's not going to stick with me a year from now, but I love it. And I, I think it, it shouldn't work, but it does um, because it, it is all built around him not performing. But I mean, I, I I'm not doing this, but I like somebody should do like a Muppet Show guest star counter, you know, of like how much time each guest spends in each episode because he's actually in it a lot. Like the the joke is that he's not performing, but so he's not. He doesn't do any sketches and he doesn't do any songs, but he's there a lot. And what he does do is a thing that we've talked about that we love is he's he has such a great rapport with the Muppets, with Kermit in particular, whenever he is on stage. Right, he treats everything completely seriously, completely real. They have such good banter, they have such good chemistry, and I was completely charmed by him and by that. We get essentially two backstage plots. You know, I love a backstage plot. You know, I wish there were more songs. I wish the songs that were here were better. I, I do, do not care for Calypso Pig. So, like, yeah, you know, it's not a perfect episode, but like, I kind of love the the Bob Hope of it all. Which I was not expecting either. So maybe it was the power of low expectations. But yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was also like puns, puns galore. I don't know. I was charmed.
5: Fascinating. Yeah. Let's get into it.
3: Bob Hope, 15 seconds to curtain, Mr. Hope. Oh, thank you, Scooter. You know, Bob, I think you're an incredibly talented human being. I mean, you're a comic genius. Oh, thank you, Gonzo. I love doing this show. Yeah. If your nose weren't so small, you'd probably be a big star like me.
0: I hate doing this show.
5: Did people make fun of Bob Hope's nose? Was this a thing?
0: Yeah. I don't know if they made fun of it, but like his profile was sort of like a trademark.
2: Yeah, it's very distinctive. I thought maybe the joke was that he's not a Jewish comedian, but (laughs) maybe it's just that Gonzo has a huge honking nose. Is Gonzo coded Jewish? Are we going to have to... debate this. no
1: <laughs> i don't think gonzo's not coded jewish <laughs> i think that's definitely a reading you could take
2: well
5: i'm gonna think about that
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay, i have a lot to think about
5: yeah
1: we have a lot of homework this week
5: no news tonight in the yay evolution department kermit is silent stetler and waldorf do have a comment
3: why, us?
5: why indeed uh the gonzo bit is recycled from the jp morgan episode Gonzo appears, but then he explodes and disappears and is replaced by Crazy Harry. Let's go backstage.
3: Yeah, I'm up at your backstage.
5: Backstage this week are basically two running gags. So let's do the one involving the guest star first. Bob Hope is apparently so busy doing his humanitarian work and doing benefits left and right that he is too double booked to actually be here. Kermit is initially not too worried about this, but he does grow a tad perturbed when he has to stretch out his introduction.
3: Kermit, uh, Fozzie, is he here yet? No, I'm just going out to lunch. <laughs> can I get you, can I get you anything? Uh, Bob Hope. Uh, no, sorry, you have to settle for pastrami on rye.
5: I love that this takes place while Kermit is on stage. The show is happening, and Fozzie's checking out. Very Fozzie. Sure, just going out to lunch. I mean, it's a problem that Bob Hope's not here, but apparently it's not a problem that Fozzie's not going to be here for the rest of the show. Anyway, Bob Hope does uh, show up long enough to do a little hello, I must be going.
3: Uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute! You can't go now! You just got here! I'm sorry, Kermit, but I'm on a very tight schedule. Yeah, but you didn't even say, hi, this is Bob, happy to be on the Muppet Show Hope! I know, but I... Not even one, but I want to tell you! (laughs) I'm sorry. Or even, seriously, folks... Well, wait a minute, you just did my whole act. Yeah, but with no jokes. That's my act. Yeah, so eventually
5: we find out that Bob canceled his benefit for the Flying Zucchini Brothers just to make this walk-on appearance. Uh, the Zucchini Brothers are displeased with this, and they abscond with the guest star. Call
4: the embassy! Call the police! Call the
1: So I just, I only clipped that because of the throwaway and barely audible call Angie Dickinson at the end of it, which I didn't even hear my partner was watching this with me and said, did he just say call Angie Dickinson? And we had to rewind it. Um, Angie Dickinson played police woman on the show, police woman. Thank you. And it's just like so rare of them to make that kind of pop culture, like current pop culture reference. And I wonder if he improvised it or whatever. I don't know. I'm delighted by it.
0: I want to go back to, I was supposed to be at a benefit for the flying zucchini brothers, what, what? Why do they merit a benefit? Are they being honored or are we raising money for their upkeep? Like, what, what is going on there? I don't know if they have a nonprofit that...
1: Was it for them or was it...
5: I, I don't know how they run their operation. If they have a theater that's dedicated
2: to their work.
1: Right. Medical bills?
2: Probably do get a lot of injuries and then need to pay for medical care.
5: That's why we have a benefits lawyer here.
2: Got to be there for all the
1: benefits. We have some really gruesome injuries coming up, but we'll, we'll get to it.
3: Well, Bob, hope is gone. I'm not surprised. It's what I've always said about this show. There is no hope. Would you repeat that? Of course not. I'm sorry I said it in the first place. I should hope so.
5: I love their iterations of who lost the toss and has to do the joke. So the Zucchini Brothers have taken the guest our way, but they do send him back.
3: Eat your heart out, Concord. <laughs> uh, how did you like the trip? Oh, I love traveling by cannonball. After all, I'm a high-caliber performer. Yeah, well, you really made a hit on our stage. I know, but I think the carpenters can fix it. (laughs) Well, don't worry about it. Listen, it's great to have you back with us. Now we can sit back and listen to one of those wonderful Bob Hope monologues. Are you kidding? I'm already late for my next benefit, the Japanese pole balder's retirement fund. How did this
4: not get a disclaimer?
1: Gets weird.
3: Well, there's
4: nothing... Did you look at the puppets?
1: Did you listen to the puppets? Oh, did they speak? They sure did speak in Japanese. I mean, they yelled. Oh, I missed that entire... I mean, I don't speak Japanese. Maybe it's real Japanese, but I doubt it.
5: I'm going to guess that it's not real Japanese.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In the not racist, just weird department, one of the pole vaulters' heads is fully on backwards, which is just strange. And another one uh, appears to have a torn arm, which I could imagine just, you know, happening last minute and not being able to fix it. But why is his head on backwards?
5: They incur a lot of injuries in their industry, too.
1: Also, uh, apparently, one of these pole vaulters, maybe the one whose head is on backwards, is puppeteered by Christopher Reeve of Superman fame. Uh, So that's some good trivia for you. Apparently, the Superman movies uh, shot in the same studios as uh, the Muppets. And so they all became friends and they invited him to be an extra, I guess.
5: I love that he was just hanging out.
1: Yep. Yep he
0: will eventually come back as a special guest star. Yes. Yes.
5: So Bob Hope does finally manage to clear a spot on his schedule and shows up to do his monologue on The Muppet Show, but it is too late. The show is almost over. The only spots left are the famous cowboy sketch as the finale and uh, Gonzo's impersonations of bread.
3: Gonzo the Great is on next. He's going to do his impersonations of bread. (laughs) I've seen Gonzo's impersonations of bread. He's backstage now, loafing around. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good, but but seriously, I can't disappoint him. He's been practicing his pumpernickel for weeks. But uh, he's left crumbs all over the backstage. Yeah, I've met some of them. Kermit, Kermit, cancel my bread impersonations act. Why? What happened? They didn't deliver my poppy seeds. (laughs) You wouldn't want me to work out there naked, would you? (laughs) Why not? You've got the crust for it.
5: (laughs) You're right. The Bob Hope bits do have some fantastic puns. Also, Kermit is such a great straight man. Just the way he says what happened.
1: Yeah, I know. I love this whole this whole bit. The whole and we there's a chunk in the middle there that we cut out of the clip. If you're not watching along, like it just there's a whole just volley of of bread jokes.
2: One might say it's their bread and butter.
1: Now I see the family resemblance. Uh-huh.
5: On to running gag B. Animal needs a hobby. He runs on stage. Uh, during Kermit's initial intro and he mugs directly into the camera and widens his eyes and yells Bob Hope, which is wonderful. And then asks, Who Hope?
3: Hey, we are lucky because do you know who our guest star is? Ho, 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 <laughs> ho, hope, hope, Our guest star is Bob Hope. Bob, Bob, yeah. Bob, 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 Bob hope. hope! Bob
1: Hope! Bob,
3: Bob, Bob, Bob Hope! Who <laughs> hope? Animal, will you stop bugging me? Go do something to calm down. Go find a hobby or something. Ah, hobby, 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 hobby.
5: <laughs> so, animal first tries out alligator wrestling, but then he switches to something a little more challenging.
3: Boy, hey, uh, animal's still not alligator wrestling, is he? Uh, oh no, man! He gave that up. Said it was too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's taking up bowling now. Oh, wow, well, that's much better. Much better and much safer. Mm, I don't know, man. Animal bowls overhand.
5: Strike. So we don't actually see Animal here. We just uh, know that he's off screen chucking bowling balls at people and taking out Muppets. And it is delightful to watch this whack em it situation. Destroy happening. Scooter. Yeah. <laughs> Scooter gets knocked right out. Pops up, pops back down. He
1: does get up again, but like, it's not pretty. <laughs> um,
5: finally and most chaotically, during the episode closing, we learn that Animal has switched to hunting. And then all the pole vaulters and zucchini brothers and hunters are running around Bob um, Hope while Animal is wielding a bazooka and chasing a bunny rabbit.
4: Oh, oh,
3: oh, 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 oh new hobby. Is he
1: taking up hunting? Hunting? Bunny rabbit! Bunny back. Right back.
3: Ah! 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 <laughs> this isn't happening.
0: This is just a hangover, I know. At this God, I missed point, the hangover son- reference when we watched it. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> um. At this point, my son said, I thought Animal's Hobby was drumming. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: Fair. That's a really good point. No, that's his job. That's his calling. That's his job and his calling, right? He needs needs something to do outside of work.
5: But yeah, that's a fair observation.
4: A wild, wide variety of music to talk about this week. (laughs) We start in a distinctly tropical place.
3: It's, 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 it's Having fun, Dancing, celebrating, dancing You're the big, big, common fans And lots of your girl.
4: Kermit is the reason why I
3: have this twinkle in my eye. Kermit, Kermit, shy and cute. How I love
1: that handsome brute. I would call Kermit a brute.
4: So the, this is Pink Calypso, which is an original. This is the first one of these. Gee, I thought this was an original of, of the last few weeks. It actually is
1: an original. Which is funny because I always assumed that it was an existing song that they just tweaked. Really? I don't know why. I, that's a very stupid thing to think, but like, I guess I was like, who would write this?
0: <laughs> well, because just a few weeks ago, we had Quanta Lagusta, which is very similar, and that is a pre existing song. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I feel like it would just be so easy to like just drop in the words pigs and Kermit. And I guess the last verse doesn't make any sense, but we'll get to it.
2: And they modify another song later in the episode. So why not this one?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And she's wearing a Carmen Miranda hat. So maybe. Conceivably, that could have been a Carmen Miranda song that they had tweaked or something.
4: So the song is credited to Derek Scott, the show's music associate. I wonder if the lyrics were written by the show's writers. And the reason I say that is because of the specific
1: joke that ends the song. Let's hear that, shall we? Yes. Kermit's response to Piggy. Frog has come to have his say The pig will never
3: get her way Bib and napkin, knife and fork Is the only way that I'll touch pork
1: so gonna... I
5: don't like it How literally do you think he means this? Do you think Kermit eats pork?
1: I mean No, he eats flies Whether he eats it in the abstract or not <laughs> It's just fucking rude
4: <laughs> I mean if that one Denny's commercial is to be believed, <laughs> no. Piggy eats pork. Right. But that Denny's
5: commercial is not to be believed. She takes great offense at pork jokes. I just think,
1: like, and they make they make bacon jokes all the time. And I know that Kermit doesn't want to date Piggy, and all that is fine. Consent is important, but like, I just, I would rather kill and eat you than date you. Is a lot for a song that's all
0: the pigs the 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 boy pigs who were the primary singers of the song are all standing around kermit when he says this and they don't react at all
1: yeah and it's also like not it's not just piggy it's 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 all of them right it's right. the whole it's the whole race
4: <laughs> also we haven't mentioned that uh annie sue is there in a bikini
0: <laughs> looking hot yeah yeah
4: she looks great and then they
5: Show that she's sitting there and this gets a laugh. And I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it's funny because there's a pig in a bikini. Ha uh-huh. ha.
1: I think so. The laugh track is all over the place this episode in general. This number was in one of those Muppet
0: greatest hits videos that came out in the 90s. So I saw this a lot when I was a teenager. And I, I think it definitely, like, first sort of traumatized me for all of the reasons we just discussed. But it is such a like earwormy kind of song that it's just like it is gone from being something that sort of horrified me to something that fascinated me to something that just delights me because I love a Muppet with a steel drum. I like this. I like Quanta Lagusta. I like Caribbean Amphibian from Sesame Street. I would like them all to get mashed up into one Caribbean Muppet mega mix. Like, here for it.
4: Yeah, I definitely had that compilation video as a kid. And the second this started, I was singing it, like, involuntarily. Like, I hadn't heard the song in 20 years, and yet out it came. Pigs, pigs, pigs. I was like, oh, there it is.
1: <laughs> well, the fact that it is, um, and I don't think this this merits a, you know, disclaimer or anything, although who am I to say, um, but the, the fact that it is, um, you know, Caribbean and they're doing accents and Whatnot makes um Salon Waldorf's joke a little uncomfortable to me anyway. I
3: like to steal drums. But the
1: pigs steal drums.
3: I believe it. they take anything that's not nailed down.
1: The pigs are not being treated well this week.
5: What do you mean they got a whole number?
1: <laughs> that's true. It's true. And the costumes are great, and Kermit's little costume is great. Yeah. And then a positive. <laughs>
4: So we move into a place of ecological commentary with our next number.
3: <laughs> There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I've got to beware. It's time we saw children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going round. Stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look
4: what's going round. So, this is a song uh, whose title you would never guess because it does not appear in the song at all. (laughs) It's a song called For What It's Worth by a band called Buffalo Springfield from 1966. Buffalo Springfield was a band that included Stephen Stills and Neil Young, later of Crosby Stills, Nash and Young. So, so this was a a song that uh, hit number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1967. And I, I actually, I was talking about this song uh, with a, a friend this week as being what, what I call a, a movie signifier. Like we were mm-hmm. talking about how like, if they make a movie about like 2020, 20 years from now, like a mask on the ground is going to be the 2020 signifier. And I was like, yeah, the same way that when you hear Buffalo Springfield's for what it's worth, you know that the movie is about to be about Vietnam. And so the use of it here I find really sort of puzzling. And then I I, I realized I'm like, oh well, well this was only a few years after the end of Vietnam. It, enough time hadn't passed yet for it to be a signifier of anything yet.
0: But it was very clearly an anti-war song originally, right? Like it came yeah. out Oh yeah, I mean, these are the war the side during the war, so. Right anyone hearing it then like it it, it's not like it developed another meaning right
1: no and it's not subtle like i went back and listened to it today i should say i i I love the song the original song i mean it's it's and it's like it's in um it's in forrest gump i think probably most famously i have to assume it was on the wonder years which was like a big deal when it came out when i was like the same age as as the kevin character like it was all, it was like, much like pop Hope, it was always around, um, despite, you know, already being 20 years old in my childhood. But like, it, it's also funny because I mentioned it, uh, on the podcast last week, which you have heard listeners. I have not, maybe it got cut out, but I, I came up and we were talking last week and recording. Um, I didn't realize it was coming up in this next episode. And like to this day, I cannot hear the song without picturing this scene because I, this is definitely the first place I heard it, it was on the puppet show, and so I was like, "Oh, this song is about hunting." Oh, no, it's not <laughs> at all. Should we say what the, what's happening on the show? We haven't done that yet.
4: Yeah, yeah. It, it, explain the situation.
1: Uh, oh me, um, yeah. I mean, it's a bunch mm-hmm. of it's uh, it's sort of the forest of despair, but this time it's warranted. It's a bunch of um, very cute animals, including. Uh, is it the same old lady possum puppet from eminador yes. um and and will Possum
5: there are many of the Emma Otter puppets being recycled here
1: yeah um, and a very cute little bunny in my like child memory it's all bunnies but that's actually not true the, the singer is a is a possum there's a deer who doesn't really match any of the others very beautiful puppet but like not in the same world really at all um and they're they're being hunted so between verses, uh, several sort of hillbilly-ish whatnots um, run on and the this sort of like funky, groovy arrangement of the song plays, uh, but it gets very loud and these hunters come on and shoot at them and they all cower and hide. It doesn't not work, but what I forget every time until I see it is that um, the first verse, the clip that we played, is the verse of the original song. Um, and then there are two, they cut the bridge entirely and then there are two new verses, which according to Muppet Wiki, n- no one is credited with and I don't blame them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the forest echoes silent walls A million years of bucks and doves Ask silently before today, can we all live our own way?
4: We better stop. Nope.
1: Nope. It's just bad. And, like, I get why What a Field Day for the Heat might not have worked in this context, but... Paranoia strikes deep into your life. It may creep. Starts when you're always afraid. Step out of line, the man comes and takes you away. That would be perfect in this setting. Yeah. A little dark for kids, but they've done it before.
4: That's my problem with this. Is it? It doesn't commit to the courage of its own convictions, right? Like it it starts in a place like like I I had if if I had seen this before it had been a very long time. And I mean certainly not as an adult. And so when this started, I found it jarring and shocking i was like oh they're going there and i thought it was incredible and moving and then the second the hunters showed up i was like nope nope no because the hunters are just like hillbilly ding-dongs thrown in for comic relief like i mean even the, the the arrangement Reflects that you have know, that da 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 da, and you're like, "What is happening?"
1: Yeah, and again, the original song not subtle, no, at all.
4: No, I so I I was like three or four years in a row got to go to the the New York CLU does a a Broadway benefit every year where Broadway stars sing. It's called like Broadway Sings for Freedom. My ex roommate used to win tickets every single year on Facebook, and I went with her and. Every year, somebody would do this song. It would be one of those things where I'd be looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, when when is the Buffalo Springfield happening? When is it happening? And then, you know, in would walk Michael Cerberus and his country band, and they'd do uh-huh.
1: it. yep. Oh, and uh, check it out. <laughs> uh,
4: and he, he, he called them the Buffalo Springfield. And I was like, no, no. So, like, like so I, vaudeville. Yeah. So, like, it, it's like this like, liberal cliche at this point of like social consciousness. And but it, so it's not subtle at all. But it is a powerful song if you leave it alone. And they did not leave it alone. And it makes me really, really frustrated.
0: So it is fascinating that they put this in the Bob Hope episode, given that he had come under so much fire for being so rah-rah USA during the Vietnam War. And I wonder. I wonder if he knew. I wonder if there was conversation between him or his people and the Muppet people that led them to soften the lyrics or up the comedy so that no one thought it was a criticism of Bob Hope or the troops or anything. Uh, I don't know. It just it, If you would ask me before we watched this episode this week, I would have sworn that this number came from the Harry Belafonte episode because I also had sort of forgotten the rewritten lyrics and just remembered it as like, like a really powerful anti-hunting, pro-animals-and-ecology sort of message. And the context with Bob Hope just makes it really stick out in ways that that raise questions for me.
1: Uh, I want to share uh, this thing. This is interesting to read this straight from at Wiki, because I'm obsessed with it. This segment provoked an article in Field and Stream, June 1978, In How to Raise Hell, writer Richard L. Hall expresses his displeasure, but only speaks in passing of the Muppet animals singing, quote, a once-popular rock song. Instead, his concern is with the Muppet hunters, including the joke in which they brag about hitting vehicles, and, quote, when the program ended a few minutes later with a deranged fuzzball screaming, bunny rabbit, bunny rabbit, and shooting the hell out of everything, I was about ready to boot the tube, end quote. (laughs) Hall then advises a letter campaign while noting it has to be more careful and polite than firing off a letter to the Muppets saying that Kermit the Frog and Company are full of fertilizer. He suggests targeting the sponsor and reprints one response from the CEO of Chart House Restaurants, who says he is unaware of their sponsoring any such program, but assures Hall that he understands the need to harvest wildlife and that he would not be part of a propaganda campaign using the tactics you mentioned. <laughs> so, really unhappy at the portrayal of hunters <laughs> on the Muppet show. <laughs> Full of fertilizers, a great euphemism. It's a great ah. euphemism. A need and to just, harvest wildlife. In case you think that this began with Twitter, no, no, <laughs> print magazine, 1978.
5: Yeah, people have been mad for a long time.
0: Yeah. Well, if you think this song was questionable, the next one is pathetic. <sighs> <sighs> running long, make it as short as you
4: can. Yep. This is Beethoven's Pathétique Sonata, Sonata number eight in C minor, opus 13. And it was written in 1798 when he was 27 years old. So uh, good for him and shout out to the public domain. I just wonder if the people who played piano for Rolf were big Beethoven fans. Like they were like, like, they went to them and they're like, what what, what are things that you like to play? Because w- we've had a lot of Beethoven jokes.
1: Well, later on, there will be a talking bust of Beethoven on the piano, if I recall correctly.
5: Yeah, this isn't the last we'll hear from Beethoven.
1: Yeah, so some um, somebody is.
5: Schroeder works on The Muppet Show. We get
4: an interesting medley in the UK spot this week. songs
3: we delighted to know. Long long ago long ago As a blackbird in the spring neath a willow tree sad and piped I heard him sing singing more
0: got that synthesizer yeah he
4: <laughs> yeah so this is the the first half there are, are four songs in this medley uh, the first one is long long ago from 1833 by the way this entire medley is a, a shout out to the public domain this was by an English composer named Thomas Haynes Bailey who according to Wikipedia uh, was an English poet songwriter dramatist and miscellaneous writer and I was like huh Thomas Haynes Bailey I wonder if he, he wrote anything else I'd, I'd heard of And he didn't, but uh, among some of the other song titles that he wrote were "Gaily the Troubadour Touched His Guitar, We Met Twas In A Crowd, and Oh No, We Never Mentioned Her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) These are literally like titles of gay group texts.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And then R.L.A. is a song that dates back to the Civil War by W.W. Fosdick. <laughs> God damn it, man! I, I I hadn't said it out loud. Good Lord! Um, and and George R R. Polton, and it sometimes gets attributed to Stephen Foster, but it's not a Stephen Foster song. And if the music sounded vaguely familiar, uh, that melody was used in Elvis Presley's uh, "Love Me Tender." I thought it sounded familiar because it was
5: featured in Alan Sherman's song "Sticks of One and Half a Dozen of the Other." Every time you take vaccine, take it orally. As you know, the other way is much more painfully. Thank you
4: for doing that, because even though I I knew orally, this rendering of it, I was like, singing orally, how else would you
1: sing? (laughs) Um, Much more painfully. (laughs) Is it meant to be? (laughs) Is it a joke? Or is it just a terrible name? I couldn't tell from the snippet of lyrics that we got.
4: It's, a, it's Oh no, it's a terrible name But I, I have to tell you a wild thing I learned about Love Me Tender Which is that the guy who wrote the lyrics to Love Me Tender Which uses the RLE melody Is a guy named Ken Darby Whose other claim to fame is Well, he has two two claims to fame uh, He had won several Oscars for uh, writing the scores for movies um, But he was also the singing voice of the Munchkin Land Mayor in The Wizard of Oz <laughs> Whoa! So that, that's a connection that I would never have made. So then we have two other songs in the medley, and the first one is going to sound extremely familiar to people who've been listening to us from the beginning.
3: Were to change by tomorrow and fleet in my arms, like fairy gifts fading away. Oh, sweet jet the days may come the days may go but still the hand of memory weaves the blissful dreams of
4: long ago so yeah the first song is uh believe me if all of those endearing young charms which appeared in the Muppet Valentine special
0: and this episode aired the day before Valentine's Day.
4: Whoa!
1: In? Well, in New York, and this is the UK spot, so.
4: Oh, fuck <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so we, we have talked about this piece of music. Before, it's a popular song written by the Irish poet Thomas More, and it can be traced back, the, the tune can be traced back uh, into the 18th century. Oh, and, and also, the, this is the one that uh, is referenced in uh, Come On Eileen.
1: It aired on the 19th of February in the UK. So you're, you're still you're still good, David.
4: And then Sweet Genevieve. I did a little bit of digging because uh, Muppet Wiki just said it, it was traditional. And, and I was like, this doesn't sound old enough to just be traditional. And turns out uh, it's not. It's from 1897. Uh, the music's by Henry Tucker. And the lyrics are by George Cooper. I found the sheet music. Attribution. That's all I've got about it, though. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have a question for you guys.
1: I have so many questions.
4: I mean, I've, yeah, I've got a lot of questions. But so they're all sitting on a couch in front of a, a fire, and JP Gross is sitting on a like an armchair facing them. Is he holding them hostage, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or is he their go. dad? Maybe this is the company Christmas party.
2: Yeah, I was thinking they're like at a company retreat, and JP's upstate New York cabin or something.
5: And this is a team building exercise.
2: (laughs) They did it. They
5: built that team.
1: It is very Muppet family Christmas.
5: Yeah. With a handful of Muppets plus JP gross.
1: Robin's on a little pillow. It's very cute.
5: That is very cute. And you can see everybody's
0: legs. Rolf and the Afghan hound are both sort of in the back, like in a little nook. And Rolf is clearly being performed by someone on the B team And it was so distractingly not Jim. Like, my eyes kept wandering there because it was just not how Rolf moves. And I was mostly proud of myself for being able to identify that.
5: I'm proud of you. Also, I was just admiring Scooter's adorable sneakers. There's a lot of cute happening.
1: Yeah, but it's super weird.
0: I like this. It was a nice change of pace. I often like it when the Muppets go sweet. And this just felt very... It's going to be a weird word to use given how like goyish this selection of songs is, but it was a very Hamish moment for the Muppets.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to explain what Hamish is? Probably should. Homie. Sure. Yeah. It's cozy. Yeah.
1: It's, it's Huga.
5: I would like it a lot better if there weren't JP gross looming over them ominously or across from them in a rocking chair. Like this does seem very sweet.
1: He seems happy. Yeah, like he seems like he's he sings lead on Genevieve. It's I don't know. I have no use for most of this, but I really like Floyd singing lead on Endearing Young Charms. Mm-hmm. I want him to cover Come On Eileen. Yeah,
4: he sounds a lot like the 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 guy in Come On Eileen. So we get a second Ralph bit, uh, which is sort of strange. <laughs> Thank you.
1: all the lady guest stars want Ralph? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so I noticed that this one, the candles. You guys often talk about having fire on stage and how it's terrifying, and the candles in this segment were taller than in the in the previous yeah, Rolf segment. So I was watching this with my three and a half year old, and she started giggling. And she hadn't reacted at all to any part of the episode until then. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, on the iPad, it's Hanukkah. (laughs) (laughs) That's very sweet.
0: I wonder if the candles are taller because they actually filmed this clip first and just kept the candles burning.
5: It's because they increased the joy over the course of the episode.
1: Well, also, Rolf sprouted a third arm, so there's clearly miracles. Happening.
5: I didn't even notice the third arm until I read about this segment on the wiki.
1: It is subtle. I mean, because of like it, it sort of blends in. Like, it's a lot of there's a lot of brown.
0: I think also we're not used to watching television with the same attentiveness that people watched television forty years ago.
1: I mean, don't tell people that we have a podcast where we pretend yeah. to be experts.
0: <laughs> well, we also watch it multiple times. I think on purpose because we know that. You know, your phone is right there, very tempting to look away and just, you know, make that wordle guess. But back before there were all those distractions, I think it was easier to stay focused. And when there are commercials, you could go put your focus elsewhere.
1: I do think it's actually, it's very cleverly constructed because they draw your attention to it in a couple of interesting ways. I think they know you're going to miss it the first time. Because actually, Rolf is surprised by it, so he reacts to it. And then you're like, oh, there's a thing there. And so like when you watch it the second time, you realize it was there earlier than you thought it was. I think that's all actually very deliberate.
4: So a quick note about this piece of music. It's called Nola. It was written by an American composer named Felix Arndt as an engagement gift for his future wife, whose name was, you guessed it, Nola. It gets referred to as a novelty rag, uh, and it's been recorded by a bunch of piano players, uh, Victor Borga, Liberace, and it was a 1950 top 10 hit for les brown and felix arndt i discovered a distant relative of napoleon the third yeah
1: it is strange that part of the gag of this episode is that they're running long and we get two nearly identical rolf numbers that feel like filler
0: i think it's not so much that they're running long as that they don't have time for bob hope to do his thing because he wasn't there when he was supposed to do it so like they had to put on Filler to cover for Missing Guest. Right, right. And then when he shows up, like, sorry, we can't just make the show longer for you. That makes sense.
1: Still, two nearly identical outfits that feel like Filler.
0: <laughs> well, I sort of wondered if at this point in the season they're starting to regret that they made the theme song shorter, because it feels like we're constantly getting these little extra bits that feel like Filler, and maybe if we had the original length like, theme song that had built-in comedy, then maybe we wouldn't need them. That's fair.
4: We close this week
0: with some
4: horse and around.
3: <laughs> What's the matter? You don't like the little conversation? Not with some two-bit horse. I'm not a two-bit horse. Oh, yeah? You bit me twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give me land, lots of land, under starry sky above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide-open spaces that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up forever, but I ask you please, don't fence me
4: This is Don't Fence Me In, which is a Cole Porter song that was originally written in 1934 for a movie called Adios Argentina. And if you've never heard of that, it's because it was never made. Mm -hmm. It it was going to be a a Western. And because uh, Cole Porter, if you know anything about Cole Porter, you're like, Cole Porter in a Western? Uh, Yeah, he he was like, I don't know uh, the first thing about that. So um, he actually uh, bought the rights to a poem by a guy named Robert Fletcher who worked for the uh, Department of Highways in Helena, Montana. (laughs) Excellent. And yeah, he reworked uh, this poem into this this cowboy song. And uh, he wanted to credit Bob Fletcher as a co-writer and his publisher uh, would not let him. Um, So this movie didn't get made and the song didn't really enter the popular consciousness until about a decade later. Uh, Kate Smith sang it on her radio show, and then Roy Rogers sang it in a movie called Hollywood Canteen, and that's when it really kind of became a hit. And uh, No Did Joe Raposo Stan Frank Sinatra recorded it that same year. After the song became a hit, Bob Fletcher got a lawyer, and uh, they retroactively got him some credit on the song. Um And Cole Porter, even though it was a big hit for him Claimed it was his least favorite of all the songs he'd written Which I understand, Makes he was sense. not in his wheelhouse
0: It is the least Cole Porter, Cole Porter song Yeah, Except maybe, uh, what is it, Red Rock and Roll That he wrote at the end of his career yeah.
4: <laughs> So yeah, it's Bob Hope on a horse And I'm putting horse in sort of air quotes It's all the components of a
0: horse <laughs> <laughs> Is it necessary and sufficient to be a horse? That's the real question.
4: You know one when you see one. D- David, how, how was it you,
0: you described this horse? It's like the Muppets used one of those services that turns your toddler's doodles into a real life stuffed animal. <laughs> Uh, on further reflection, though, I think I realized what's really uncomfortable for me about the horse. Well, there's two things. One is that the way that they have created the illusion of movement is that it's chroma keyed onto a moving background, but that makes it look like the feet are never actually touching the ground. Yeah, there's, there all, is
1: no ground. It's just floating. I mean, that's and, kind and of there's the there's
0: no bounce to it, so, so it's not actually... There's no illusion of movement whatsoever. And... The horse doesn't have knees, so the legs are all sort of noodley, and they move in really sort of uncanny, uncomfortable ways as they
1: gallop along.
4: He doesn't have knees, but he does have New Balance sneakers.
1: And socks.
4: (laughs) Yeah, many colors of socks and sneakers.
1: (laughs) I I was looking, I was like, are those actually like literally new balance with the logo or is it a weird coincidence and i looked it up and new balance actually would have been very trendy at this time so I-, I don't know make of that what you will
5: i didn't mind the horse i thought maybe you were like upset by like the the weirdly long neck or the buck teeth that the hooves inside the new balance shoes like he does a little soft
0: shoe in the middle it's really cute I mean, Miss Piggy also wears shoes instead of hooves. That part doesn't
1: bother me so much. I find the horse vaguely unsettling, but I also think so does Bob Hope. So it all sort of feels of like a piece with the sketch, and, and I don't mind it so much.
4: I mean, it it was unsettling enough that Gonzo didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, to this horse, Gonzo
5: said nay.
1: <sighs> this is a thing I feel like I never clock on this show in, in the way that I do on, say, Modern Saturday Night Live. But Bob Hope is definitely reading off of cue cards during this.
0: In my research for the biography section of this podcast, <laughs> I discovered that Bob Hope famously always used cue cards. And in fact, at the end of his life, when his sight started to go, it became a problem.
1: Hmm. I didn't I didn't notice it anywhere else. And I'm I I would not be surprised if other guests had used them, but in this sketch, I think because of the way he's positioned on the horse, you can really tell when he's looking off in another direction.
5: Yeah, I thought he just didn't know where to look or something was off about which shots they were using when. But yes, we know from the Rita Moreno episode that they do use cue cards and that Sweetums holds them. He needs a job.
1: (laughs) Have we mentioned the horse's name yet? No. Well. (laughs) I feel like you should do it because you were so delighted to discover it.
5: (laughs) I was delighted. The wiki uh, names this horse as Paul Revere. Of course it is.
0: Oh, I get it. (laughs) David, of all people. <laughs> I, I, no, sorry. I'm, I'm just reading the Wikipedia, or I'm just reading the Muppet Wiki now. I didn't realize that in a later episode it will be in the number fugue for Tin Horns where they have a horse right here named Paul Revere. I, listen, I'm from Boston. When I hear Paul Revere, I think the British are coming ride right through the night on a horse. So, of course, you need the horse Paul Revere, but now it's all coming together for me.
5: Fair
1: enough. Listeners, that's a musical theater. Guys and Dolls, a Burroughs reference. <laughs> He strikes again.
0: I feel like the ghost of Frank Lesser is going to strike you down for not saying his name. Which I mean, yes, but, you know,
1: relevant to our recent run of episodes.
0: Yes.
5: Anyway, come back for the Pearl Bailey episode next season.
1: Perhaps my favorite of all time.
5: It's pretty great.
3: Number one that jazz. Listen, turkey. What?
5: And get out of show business. Oh, boy. Let's get down to show business. We have a Muppet News Flash. Uh, fishing season has commenced. Naturally, what we hear is a gunfire and what we see are fish raining down on the Muppet Newsman. I love the way he just picks a fish up and looks at it in this beautifully apathetic way. Like, of course, of course, this is what happens to me. Of course, this is happening now. We'll have another Muppet News flash in a moment. But first, there's a Swedish chef sketch. In the Swedish chef's kitchen, it is pressed duck season. Uh, Der Chef has der duck. Yes, this is the duck. And he also has der duck presser. Uh, which is just an iron. The duck manages to steal the iron, drop it on the chef's head, and fly away. Good job, duck.
0: I was so proud to see the duck fly with his little feet. I was like, oh, our little duck is growing up. (laughs) Yeah, left the nest. I feel like this duck is sort of the secret star of The Muppet Show. Like, no one really talks about him, but he keeps showing up over and over again and has some nice character development. Like, good on the duck. The duck and group
1: should get a spinoff where they fight crime. (gasps)
0: Yeah. I'd love that. Buddy comedy.
1: The, the duck is introduced like under a, a dome, one of those, you know, serving dish things. And the the chef lifts the thing off, and the duck looks right at the camera and goes, Quack. It's so cute.
5: It's, yeah, every time we see the duck, something great is going to happen. So we have a second Muppet news flash. Uh, apparently, there was supposed to be a third in between the two involving a moose dropping on the newsman. Uh, But that got cut. I think it would have made this even funnier. But here is our final Muppet News flash of the episode.
3: This is the opening night of the opera season. and
5: (laughs) Somebody is not a fan.
1: Leak. But yeah, the hunting season, fishing season, opera season would have been a better.
0: Yeah. Well, I felt like the
1: Buffalo Springfield number
0: serves as the introduction to the concept of a big season. So we yes. still get the rule of threes, even though they're not all three Muppet News Flash segments.
5: I suppose. I think it still would have been funnier.
0: For anyone who hasn't watched, there's literally a Muppet opera singer dressed like something out of De Valcura that falls dead on the desk and then rolls off onto the ground. It is horrifying and hilarious.
5: Yeah, I thought it was very funny. And also I was horrified, yes. <laughs> The scientists at Muppet Labs have developed an automatic waste basket that will end your waste disposal woes forever. It also eats beaker's head.
4: Just imagine never having to empty a wastebasket again. Order your wastebasket today. It comes in both regular or housebroken want models. More, more. Uh, sh-
3: sh-
4: do try to keep him quiet. Please. Send us, just send us 22 95 and we'll send you a Muppet Wastebasket. Or send us thirty-two ninety-five, and we won't.
5: It's really cute that as this wastebasket starts to consume beaker, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew just suavely slides over to hide that from view and just keeps talking to the viewer.
1: I just saw an ad on YouTube, like literally yesterday, for like a countertop machine that that allegedly turns your food waste into like soil. Okay yeah it's like, it's, it's like a composter but like but they're like you know no more gross countertop composter this you know this is be- like it's like looks like it has like blades and it. it was just, just a commercial and i thought oh i should look into that because there's really no, no good way to compost in my apartment um and now maybe i won't
5: <laughs> i mean don't stick your hand in there or your head
1: yeah but yeah i do feel like it took us 40 years to get anywhere close to this fake muppet product
2: we're living in the future guys $22.95 sounds like a lot at the time. $22.95 in 1978
1: dollars would be 98 dollars in 2022 dollars. Huh. So not hugely expensive.
3: It's the most consistent show I've seen. Yes, they get worse every single week.
0: <gasps> oh, well, I guess we have reached the end of this episode. Sort of stuck up on me as I was pondering what I would pay for an automatic wastebasket.
3: He doesn't Hope usually sing thanks for the memories.
0: Why would he want to remember this? Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week with the Teresa Brewer episode featuring special guest star Joe Hennett from TuffPig.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy, or on the web at Muppetergy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kiki Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus, And this episode was edited by David Lovell.
4: Interestingly, our second uh, Sinatra connection this episode, because Sinatra dated Angie Dickinson. I'd just like to point
0: out. He also would often prefer to eat rather than fuck his girlfriends.
3: Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to cut that.
4: (laughs) I just got it.